But let's pray for our time in God's Word. We're going to use the words of the traditional prayer for the second Sunday in Advent. This is a, this is a banger, this prayer. I think this is a prayer that you can pray more than just the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, but it's a very apt prayer to be praying as we come to reflect upon not only what Errol read out for us, uh, but other parts of Scripture as well. So let's pray together. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said... Amen. The weary world rejoices. What an incredible promise from perhaps the greatest Christmas carol ever written, O Holy Night. And also, The Weary World Rejoices is the name of our Advent series with a beautiful offer from our God and Saviour, an offer of joy even in the face of of weariness, the offer of a, a, a deep happiness, more than the circumstances of this life, a joy that lasts into eternity for those who respond to the invitation of our Saviour, the weak, the weary, the sinners, the sufferers, the weary world rejoices. Uh, now, this Advent series uh, is, is all about the weary world rejoicing. And look, even the language Advent, maybe you haven't grown up with some of the more traditional elements of Christianity. Maybe you went to a church that didn't really talk about Advent and maybe that's a new word to you. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Uh, maybe you're brand new to church in general. If that's you, we are so glad that you're here. We hope and trust that every week is a good week for people who haven't grown up in the church to come and consider Christ, to consider the, the Bible, where we believe God speaks to us and where we meet the words of eternal life in Jesus. And so the word Advent is just another way of saying coming. And Advent in the church calendar uh, is a season of considering the two Advents of Christ, the two comings of Christ, the first coming of Christ roughly 2,000 years ago and the second coming of Christ in four and a half weeks' time. Now, we actually don't know when it is. Jesus even says he doesn't know the time or the hour. Uh, sometime in the future when Christ will return. Advent is all about those two comings of Christ. We prepare ourselves to remember that great moment where God took on flesh, where Christ became a man. We remember that moment. We remember the significance, not only of his entry into the world, but everything that continues throughout the Gospels. As we see his life, as we hear his teaching, as we see his miracles, his impeccable character, and as we see ultimately him go to the cross, having lived a perfect life in our place, dying a sacrificial death on the cross in our place for our sin, rising from the dead triumphantly appearing to more than 500 people, commissioning his disciples and ascending back to the Father's right hand. We remember the coming of Christ and we remember that with joy. In the midst of our weariness, we remember the, the joy of knowing the Lord, of knowing that Christ has come once, but perhaps in the midst of the weariness of this world, 
of the weariness of our lives, the disappointments that come our way. Some of them are our own fault. Many of them are not our fault, are just part of being in a world that's broken and marred by sin. This is a season, this is a month, this is a moment to long all the more amid whatever weariness we feel right now. Quick show of hands if you're feeling weary right now. Those that put their hands up are lying. It's those that didn't put their hands up, that couldn't even lift their hands. <laughs> I'm so weary, I can't raise my hand. And so Advent is, we look back and we remember that first coming, that first Advent of Christ with joy. We look forward, come Lord Jesus. Would that day be soon? May it be quicker than four and a half weeks. And so this Advent, we are reflecting on the incredible promises made some 700 years before the first advent of Christ, before the, the birth of Christ. Uh, and I think even in this passage in Isaiah, we don't just have the first coming of Christ in mind. I actually think there's plenty of hints at the second coming of Christ, when all things will be wrapped up for his glory. And so our key Bible verse is from Isaiah chapter 9, and this will pop up on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, it, was a, it was wonderful to kick off our service, even singing some of those words. Well done. Uh, we got through it. You got through it. We all sang it together. And I hope and trust it's helped us to start focusing on Isaiah 9 and start considering this child that has been born, these promises made some 700 years before the coming of Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we will consider uh, three things. There's, there's four names given to Christ. Uh, today, we'll consider him as wonderful counsellor. Uh, next week, we'll consider Jesus as mighty God and everlasting Father. And then on Christmas Eve, do not miss it, we will consider Jesus as the Prince of Peace. I think uh, every single week uh, in this series uh, is a good week to bring someone along. The easiest invite of the year is this time. Uh, people are more open to coming to church than we are to inviting them. So pray that God would give you boldness. Uh, you don't even have to do it face to face. Send a text message, send a MySpace message, whatever your, whatever your platform of choice is. No one's using MySpace. If you are, that's incredible. But invite people along uh, to consider Christ, to look back to his first coming and to be prepared for his second coming. But each week as we consider this series, um, we know that Christmas is a time of giving and receiving gifts, right? But the greatest gift is that in Jesus, God has given himself to us. And so across, across these three weeks, we're going to focus on, uh, I guess, specifically gifts that Jesus brings as we kind of drill down into some of these titles given to him from Isaiah chapter 9. And so today we'll consider that Jesus gifts wisdom for the weary. It's good news for you if you're here and you're weary. Next week, we'll consider that Jesus gifts strength for the weak. And then the Prince of Peace, the final week, will consider that Jesus gifts peace for the world. And that is good news and great joy. But the gift today uh, is the, the gift of wisdom for the weary. And this is from our wonderful counsellor. 
you're taking notes, that's the title of our talk today. And there's four things I want you to see. And we're going to kind of move around Isaiah a little bit, land in a gospel and finish in 1 Corinthians. So it's a little bit different from what we normally do. We typically grab a passage from the Bible and we kind of work through a few paragraphs at a time. Um, and that's our normal diet. We've just finished our series in 1 Thessalonians. If you missed some of that, feel free to catch up with it online. Uh, but we'll start in Isaiah, move around Isaiah, end up in a gospel and land in 1 Corinthians. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan, Dave. Um, And so from our wonderful counsellor, there's uh, a gift of wisdom from Jesus to a weary world. The first thing I want you to notice in our our storyline is the wisdom of God is our need. The wisdom of God is our need. Uh, Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. One of the things that the prophets do on repeat... Could have turned to multiple places in Isaiah for this. Could have turned to other Old Testament prophets for this. But here's one significant place where we will see the folly of humanity. Uh, The folly of idolatry. Of turning good things into ultimate things. Of bowing down to things that are not the true and living God. And, And what we need is wisdom from God to know our deep need. To know the folly of hearts that are inclined towards worshipping things of this world. Worshipping creatures, worshipping people, worshipping experiences, worshipping money, worshipping holiday destinations. The wisdom of God is our deep need. Have a look with me, Isaiah chapter 44 verse 9. It says, All who fashion idols are nothing. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witness, witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is possible, profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. It's foolish. You are bowing down to worship a God created with your own hands, created by another person. Verse 12, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Uh, Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. And he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it and prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Like reading through these passages, it just, when you explain exactly what's taking place, how foolish does it look? How foolish to, to bow down at an image crafted by an ironsmith, by a carpenter, 
by something made by another person to, to bow down and think that that God is powerful to save. Those gods are impotent. We are foolish in our idolatry. And yet the reality is, sometimes perhaps as we even read these Old Testament passages, we kind of go, well, they were a bit dumb, weren't they? Oh, I wouldn't bow down and worship something created with someone else's hands. And yet the reality is, we may not have these traditional little trinkets of, that you might find in, in Hinduism or Buddhism or other world religions. We, we may not have statues like that, but we are consumed by things in our lives. You know, even in our recent 1 Thessalonians series, chapter 1, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about idolatry. And we talked about three common idols that capture our hearts. The idol of sex, the idol of money, the idol of power. Sex, money and power in and of themselves are not wrong things, but when they're ultimate things and the number one pursuit in our lives, they make for a lousy God. They will not save us in the way that our hearts desperately need to be saved and rescued. You see, the reality is we are all guilty of folly in need of rescue from God, in need of wisdom from God to even point us in the right direction. We left to ourselves, we don't even realise we need a saviour. It's only when the wisdom of God breaks in, it's only when our ears are open to the word of God and the wisdom of God that we can even understand the folly of idolatry and the hope and the glory of the true and living God. You know, just before what we had read out, verse six, and, uh, verse 6, 7 and 8, we see it says, Thus the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. We need the wisdom of God. We need to know that there is no God but Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true and living God, the everlasting God, the God who has no beginning and no end, the God who has not been fashioned together by an ironsmith or a carpenter. We are all guilty of folly of living apart from God, of turning good things into ultimate things and worshipping idols. Our deep need is to know the wonderful wisdom and counsel of God. In Isaiah chapter 28, turn back with me to the left, Isaiah 28 verse 29, it says this about God's wisdom, about God's counsel. It says this, um, this is Isaiah chapter 28 verse 29, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. The counsel of our God, the wisdom of our God, what he offers is wonderful. You know, we're not doing a study of the whole of the book of Isaiah, but if we were, we'd actually see that the book of Isaiah has much to say about judgment, God's judgment upon stubborn, hard-hearted people, both from within the, the nation, but also the nations that surround. And yet Isaiah is also a book, not just of judgment, but a, ju a book of salvation where God kindly and wisely makes himself known. He is wonderful in counsel. He is excellent in wisdom. Do you know your need for the wisdom of God? The revelation of God? The word of God? To, to help you to even understand your own heart? 
You know, sometimes I think in our folly, we don't even need, we don't even think we need help, right? We don't, we don't need anyone else's perspective. We don't need anyone else's eyes. And yet the, the number one need of our lives is that we would know the wisdom of God, that he would help us to see our hearts right, that he would help us to see the folly of living apart from him and failing to worship him as God. Number one, the wisdom of God is our need. Number, of, number two is that the wisdom of God is promised. The wisdom of God is promised. Turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 9, our key verse for the series. Isaiah chapter 9, let me read it again. It says, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A child has been promised. A son will be born with strong shoulders bearing upon his shoulders the government. This king will be, this son will be a king who will rule and reign, whose kingdom will be established forever and ever. And we've considered the, the four names that he has given. He is the wonderful counsellor. He is the wisdom of God. He is the one that can speak in a timely way, in a helpful way, pointing us to the, the good news of his coming and our great need for his presence. And so we see this promise of a wonderful counsellor will come. And we also see from, from the reading that we had before Isaiah chapter 11... We, sort of see, we also see this, Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. There's something that this one will have. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon them. The spirit of wisdom will be upon him. The spirit of counsel, the spirit of knowledge will be upon this one who has been promised. You know, as we continue to read, and we won't reread it, we've had it read out for us, but what, what we continue to see as we look into that passage is not only the coming of Christ, but actually the second coming of Christ. Verse 9 ends, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The promise of this, this righteous branch from the stump of Jesse, a descendant of King David with all the promises that were made to him and all the hope that was in him are fulfilled not only in the first coming of Christ, but we long for that day when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, Barry Webb, Old Testament commentator, one of my lecturers from college uh, a long time ago, uh, he said this about uh, Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11. He says, in, in many senses, Isaiah 9 and the promise of the wisdom of God uh, is fulfilled in Christ's first coming and that the, 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 the wisdom of God described in Isaiah 11 is fulfilled in Christ's second coming. 
as we look forward to that day when Christ will return. Point two is the wisdom of God is promised. And if you haven't noticed it already, I've, I've done some spoiler alerts from the very beginning of this sermon, from the very beginning of this service. We've said it's about Jesus. I've said it multiple times just now that these promises in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11 and many other places in Isaiah are fulfilled in Christ. And so we've moved from, number one, the wisdom of God is our need, to number two, the wisdom of God is promised. That's good news. It's coming. And then the third thing I want you to see is the wisdom of God in flesh. Some of that beautiful language uh, of the wisdom of God in the flesh. Here is Jesus. Uh, as John 1 describes him as the Word, the Word of God, the wisdom of God who has put on flesh. And I love, uh, we could spend a long time talking about the wisdom of God in flesh and we'll actually keep talking about what it means for, particularly next week, when we talk about Jesus as mighty God, uh, as God who became man. We'll, we'll unpack that in greater detail. But for the moment, I want you to consider this wisdom of God manifest, made known in and through Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 actually uh, quotes Isaiah a bunch of times and we actually see some of those promises made from Isaiah clearly fulfilled in Jesus. But one thing I want you to notice is, is Jesus growing up? And there's uh, at least two verses uh, to point your attention to. Uh, have a look at Isaiah, not Isaiah, Luke chapter 2, verse 39, it says, When they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Jesus continues to grow, and his childhood as God who became man, who put on flesh, in obedience to the word of God, in obedience to the word that he knows as he reads scripture and reflects on scripture and walks intimately with not only his earthly father, but his heavenly father, he becomes strong. He becomes filled with wisdom. The favor of God, his father is on him. And then a little while longer, as a 12 year old, we see at the end of that section, the end of chapter two, after Jesus is in the temple, uh, we see verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and, with, and in favor with God and man. You get this picture of the wisdom of God in flesh. Jesus, God come amongst us, growing in his wisdom, walking in his wisdom. We see that in these early years of the Son of God's life. On earth and it's a wonderful picture of exactly what Christ has come to do as our counselor our wonderful counselor I love what um what Tim Keller says as he reflects upon Jesus as the counselor let me read to you from his book about Christmas he says this if Jesus is wonderful counselor and Prince of Peace you should want to serve him why is he called a counselor well, when you are going through something very difficult, it's good to talk to someone who has walked the same path, who knows personally what you've been going through. If God has really been born in a manger, then we have something that no other religion even claims to have. It's a God who truly understands you from the inside of your experience. There's no other religion that says God has suffered. 
that God had to be courageous, that he knows what it is like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured and die. Christmas shows he knows what you're going through. When you talk to him, he understands. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is our counsellor. He's our wonderful counsellor. Christmas shows he knows what you're going through. When you talk to him, he understands. We have one who has walked the roads that we've walked, who has suffered temptation, who has been betrayed, who has suffered injustice. Jesus is ready, willing and able, the wisdom of God in flesh to counsel us, to come alongside us, to advocate for us, to be with us in our time of need. I've, um, I'm a big fan of counselling. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a counsellor before, uh, but I think we go to uh, general practitioners for a checkup for our bodies and we get our uh, all things, different things tested depending on your age, more and more stuff starts getting tested and it's right to have a general kind of physical health checkup. Um, and a GP can certainly help us with mental health as well. Uh, but I think that the regular habit of actually having someone that we can talk some things through with to have a checkup, it may not even be in a moment of particular crisis, but just to build in rhythms of spending time with someone that can counsel you uh, through the highs and the lows of life. I've been to various counsellors over the years. I've been to the same one for the last seven years. And he has been a gift. Uh, he has been a gift. I know he's been a gift to pastors all over southeast Queensland and via telehealth all across the country. Um, he uh, has helped me significantly. And there's times where I, I'm, I'm going to meet with him and I meet with him at different frequencies at different times. At different times it's been like fortnightly, other times monthly, other times quarterly. It kind of goes through different stages at different times. And there's times where I kind of go, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. But just the opportunity to talk, I'm like, oh, I had plenty to talk about. And one of the things that I love about my counsellor is knowing more and more about his story and his suffering and hardship in his ministry has actually been something that's helped me to kind of go, okay, you get it. You, you, you get some of the things that I'm wrestling with. You get some of the things I'm struggling with. And, and you can help me as I process the junk in my life, the wins in my life, the losses in my life. And I'm thankful to God for a godly uh, counsellor uh, that I'm able to see uh, across the year. Jesus is that and some. <laughs> is he not? Again, the greatest Christmas carol ever written, which we're going to sing in a moment. Oh, holy night. How wonderful is that line? He knows our need. To weakness is no stranger. Isn't that good news? Let's be honest. He gets what you're going through. Right now, you might be thinking, well, there's other people who don't know the things you're struggling with, the situation at work, the situation in your marriage, the situation of past trauma, whatever it might well be. And you kind of go, I don't know who I can even trust, who I can even talk about this with, and it's big and it's deep and it's complex. Jesus knows your need. Jesus is your counsellor. Jesus comes with wisdom from God. That's good news, is, is it not? Amen? Amen? 
He knows our need to weakness is no stranger. The fourth and final thing I want you to see is that the wisdom of God is powerful. The wisdom of God is powerful. I'm going to have to work hard to not give a full sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But let's quickly turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What an absolute cracker of a passage as we kind of pull these threads together. We've considered our need for the wisdom of God. We've, we've, we've beheld that wonderful promise of God that wisdom is coming. We've considered how in Jesus wisdom has put on flesh. And here we get to, to not only see that wisdom has put on flesh, but we see the power of God at work. Let me, uh, let me read to you from Isaiah, Isaiah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who have been saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The world thinks they're wise. Look out. <laughs> Where is the one, verse 20, who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. How good is this? And the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We might look on at the story of Christmas. We might look on at the story of Jesus. We might look on at the folly of a cross that God would put on flesh and go and die the lowliest of low deaths. We might look at that and go, that is foolish. How foolish. And yet even the foolishness of God is wiser than this world. And the weakness of God is stronger than this world. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Um, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The wisdom of God is powerful. The wisdom of God displayed in Christ Jesus. In the extraordinary story of God putting on flesh and becoming a human, being born in a manger. The extraordinary story as we unpack the story of Jesus in the Gospels. And then the, the folly of being put to death on the lowest form of death possible. Put to death on a cross. Something that looked like defeat was God at work for the salvation of the world. God at work to redeem the world. God at, at, at work to bring wisdom and knowledge and insight and understanding in and through Jesus. A wisdom, an insight, a knowledge and an understanding that changes eternity. That doesn't just give me... The, the, knowledge about who's going to win the horse races tomorrow so that I can put money on it and get, get a good return, but gives me the ability to understand the world in such a way that I live wisely now, 
but I know of that which is to come in eternity because of what Christ has accomplished in his life, in his death and in his resurrection. I love that uh, Tim Keller, as he unpacks this idea of Jesus as the wonderful counsellor, uh, he, he, in this quote I'll give you now, he emphasises how that is wonderful. Listen carefully. He says, Isaiah calls him the wonderful counsellor, which means he's beautiful. And perhaps now we get a glimpse of why he is. He had the infinite highness of being the mighty God, yet he became one of us, enmeshed in our condition in order to know our darkness. He saved us by going to the cross and he did it all voluntarily, freely, out of sheer love. That is beautiful. When we find something to be beautiful, not just a duty, we dwell on it and stand before it because it is satisfying in itself. And so the reason we should obey him, not simply because we have to, but also because we want to, is that in light of all he is and has done for us, he is wonderful. In short, Jesus is the divine light of the world because he brings a new life to replace our spiritual deadness, because he shows us the truth that heals our spiritual blindness, and because he is the beauty that breaks our addictions to money, sex, and power. As wonderful counsellor, he walks with us even into and through the shadow of death, Matthew 4, where no other companion can go. He is a light for us when all other lights go out. I love that picture of Jesus as a wonderful counsellor, beautiful counsellor. You see, as we see the story of Jesus unfold, and as we consider the predicament that we're in, dead in our sin, worshipping idols in our folly, it's not just stop doing that, it's Jesus is better. Jesus is more beautiful. Jesus is worth it. The, 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 the ultimate response to Jesus as wonderful counsellor is that we hear him and we heed what he's saying. But we do that with a joy in the midst of weariness because he's beautiful, because he's wonderful. And so walking in obedience is not this chore, though it may be hard to, to swim against the stream of the society around us, to be different, to be holy. That might be Hard, but it's worth it when we see the one who has gone before us, when we see the one who is walking with us, when we behold that he is wonderful. He is our counsellor. He knows our need and he's able to safely take us home. He's able to fully give us everything that we desperately need through his life, through his death and through his resurrection. You know, as we conclude, I'm going to conclude with where we started. The prayer that we started will pop up on the screen. Here's the, uh, the second Sunday in Advent. Hopefully that's big enough to read. Um, it says, Blessed Lord, you've caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, that's Jesus, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a prayer. If you haven't yet taken a photo of the screen, take a photo of the screen. This is a prayer to pray. I think you could pray this every morning when you read God's word. Don't just pray one Sunday a year. This is a prayer that we, we ought to always, as we see and know the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus, we need it, number one. God promises it, number two. 
Jesus is it, number three. And it's powerful, number four. And so we, 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 we allow Jesus to walk alongside us. We come to him as our wonderful counsellor. And we listen to what he says. We put it into practice. We pray that his spirit would give us strength to do that. Knowing that he is our wonderful counsellor. And knowing that in him and through him, a weary world can rejoice. Let me pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Jesus. And we're thankful that he has come. We need him. And we need the wisdom that he brings. And Father, for my brothers and sisters here right now, and perhaps even people listening to this on the podcast later on, Father, there's really specific things that a whole bunch of us need right now. Give us ears to hear Jesus, to hear your holy word, to heed your holy word, and to joyfully put it into practice, knowing that Jesus is wonderful, knowing that Jesus is beautiful, knowing that Jesus is better. And Father, we are conscious of the weary world around us and ask, Lord, that at this time you would continue to give us strength to trust in Jesus, that you would give us wisdom to live wisely in this world, but that we would hold out Christ, who he is, what he offers, and why he matters. And Father, may others uh, in our neighbourhood, in our workplace, around our tables, in our families, Father, may they come to know the wonderful counsel that Jesus is. We thank you for him who who has come and walked alongside us, who knows what we're going through. And Father, we thank you that in your wisdom, he willingly went to the cross to suffer in our place, to rise from the dead and to give wisdom and eternal life to all who trust in him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.